to see you this morning. Glad to hear you wide awake this morning. You sound great, by the way. If you're a guest of ours, we are honored to have you with us. We want to welcome everybody joining us online as well. Glad that we're together in one way or another this morning. In um, Ken Burns' famous documentary on PBS about the Civil War, the historian Shelby Foote told a story about a Confederate soldier who was badly wounded at the Battle of Shiloh. And his commanding officer told the wounded soldier, you need to get to the rear of the battle. A few minutes later, that soldier was there again by his commanding officer. And the officer said, I thought I told you to get to the rear of the battle. The, officer, or the, the wounded man said, sir, there ain't no rear to this battle. You ever been in a fight that you felt like there's no rear to this battle? There is no safe spot. That the enemy is attacking, you know, from all fronts. That's why I think Paul says in the book of Ephesians that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against the rulers and authorities and the powers of this dark world. And that's why Paul says we need to put on the whole armor of God. As Christians, we are in a battle. It has no safe spot. It has no ceasefire area. This morning, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about the battle that we're in. I want to talk to you a little bit about temptation. We started last week a sermon series going through the book of James. And um, last week, we talked about James mentioning that trials are to be expected and that God actually can work through trials. And God can strengthen us. In those trials. In fact, he ended that section, James did, by saying this in verse 12, chapter 1. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. That was James chapter 1, verse 12. I want to pick up right there this morning. I want to talk, it's still pretty much in the context of trials, but James is going to discuss something that you and I need to be very aware of while we're walking through trying times. So we're going to look at some passages right here in chapter 1, and we'll make a few uh, observations along the way. Um, Thanks. Verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Hold that thought for just a minute. I saw a study, they come out every year, but I went and looked for the most recent one I could find. It was the summer of 2021, talking about the most dangerous roads in all of America. Streets, highways, interstates, they were ranked the most dangerous roads to drive on in America. Number one, in all 50 states, the most dangerous road to drive on, I-4. Between Tampa and Daytona, I drive it every single day. Most of you are on I-4 all the time. You know it's a dangerous road. You might have been aware it is the most dangerous road in all 50 states. One and a quarter deaths per mile per year. Now there's something about being aware of how dangerous a place is. This sort of allows us to pay a little bit more attention. Like I said, I drive I-4 all the time. I'll I'll be on it again in about an hour and a half. I'm always on I-4. 
And I don't always remember how dangerous a road that is. But maybe if I'm aware of that, you know, maybe next time here, here this afternoon, I'll remember this is a really dangerous place. And maybe I'll slow down a little bit. Maybe I'll pay a little closer attention, put my head on a swivel. Well, I'll realize how dangerous a road I'm on. James wants you to be aware you are on a very dangerous road right now. It might not seem that dangerous to you, but you need to pay attention to what's going on around you. You need to maybe slow down a little bit and pay close attention to, to where you are. And then James says, talking about the, this danger, he lets us know right off the bat, he doesn't say, if you are tempted. What James says is, when you are tempted. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. You are going to be tempted. And you need to know that. You need to know you're in a dangerous place. You're under enemy fire. Now, we talked last week the fact that being dedicated to God does not exempt you from going through trials. James wants to be sure you understand being dedicated to God doesn't exempt you from being tempted either. You know, you've all heard that saying, the devil doesn't die in the baptistry. Well, it's true. You know, Jesus learned that. Remember what happened to Jesus right after his baptism? He was led away into the desert to be tempted for 40 days. So here's my first observation. A faith that works anticipates that temptation is going to be at work. If you want to have a faith that is working for you, you have to realize there's temptation at work here. Uh, again, that's James chapter 13. I think I've got it. Yeah. Listen. It is not a sin to be tempted. Being tempted is not a sin. Yet every sin begins with a temptation. Now, James isn't going to mention Satan right here. He will later. But James wants to be sure that we understand we are on a dangerous highway. And we are going to be tempted. You need to expect it. You need to anticipate it. You need to be prepared for it. Which kind of leads to my... Next observation, the faith that works understands that temptation works from the inside out. Temptation starts kind of from the inside, works its way out. Uh, That's verse 14. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. I don't have it on the slide, but James goes on to say in verse 15, Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, once it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. James tells us that when you're tempted, you can't shake your fist at God and say, God's tempting me. When we're tempted, we can't point up. James says, you ought to be pointing in when you're tempted. You ought to be looking at yourself when you're tempted. Charles Spurgeon said this about temptation. What settings are you in when when you sin? Avoid them. What props do you have that support your sin? Eliminate them. What people are you usually with when you sin? Separate yourself from them. The guy that goes into the doctor's office and says, Doc, I think I broke my arm in two places. The doc said, you shouldn't have gone to those two places. (laughs) But we, I know that was really bad, but... (laughs) There's something in us that wants to blame God when things go wrong, right? 
We want to point up. But James says, no, you need to point in. James says that each is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. By my own evil desire. See, here's what happens. I somehow convince myself that I know more than God. Now, not on the grand scheme. I know God knows more than me on the grand scheme. But as far as my life in this moment, I convince myself, well, I think I know what's best. I I think I know what's best for me. And James says, that's going to drag you away. I know what I'm going to enjoy. I know what I think I need. I know what I think I deserve. I, I think I know more than God right now. That's why James says, don't be deceived. Now, why would James tell us not to be deceived? Because James knows that we are so easily deceived, right? And that's why you pay me for this great insight here, okay? (laughs) James says, don't be deceived, because he realizes we are easily deceived. Now, you're thinking to yourself, not really. I'm pretty smart. I'm pretty savvy. I'm pretty wise. James says, no, you're not. You are easily deceived. Deceived into thinking that we know more than God. Deceived into thinking that, you know, my decision, my path for my life, I think is probably better than God's path for my life. Deceived into thinking that this pleasure of sin is going to last longer than a season. But James says, don't be conceived. The bait always conceals the hook. And we're not the first people to realize this, by the way. I mean, ask Moses, ask David, ask Solomon. The the Bible is full of people who thought they had such a great plan for their lives, something wonderful that was going to be so good only to to see it turn out so bad. Of course, you don't have to ask some Bible character if, uh, you know, uh, where temptation leads, if there's no future in sin. You can ask the person sitting beside you. Don't do that, by the way. (laughs) Or you can just look in the mirror, Right? Because we all can think of times when we said, you know, this seems like such a great idea. I know this isn't in God's will, but I think this is make, I can make this work. Something that seems so good that to find out is not anything that we imagined or anything that we were promised. You need to remember your adversary, the evil one, Satan, he does not come bearing gifts. Nothing Satan has to offer is for free. You are going to pay for everything you take him up on. Satan does not come bearing gifts. But James tells us that God does. James tells us that a faith that works counts on the unchanging goodness of God. If we're going to have a faith that works in our life, we're going to have to depend on the unchanging goodness of God. That's verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. James says, every single thing that you have that's good, everything that you enjoy that's perfect, that's from God. And that's not going to change, because God doesn't change. You know, in the middle of temptation, it would probably help us to think about all the good and perfect things that we have, right? Right? but we never do that. In the middle of temptation, we don't usually think about what we have. 
we usually think about what we lack. We usually think about the things that we don't have. By the way, that has been Satan's strategy from the very beginning. He doesn't want us to focus on what we've been given and blessed with. He wants us to focus on the things that we're lacking. Think about all the way back in the Garden of Eden. God told Adam and Eve, you can eat from any tree in this entire garden with one exception. What tree did Satan want Adam and Eve to focus on? The one tree they couldn't eat from. What tree did Adam and Eve focus on? The one tree that they couldn't eat from. God's gifts are always better than Satan's promises. That's verse 17. Now as we walk through chapter 1, these next couple verses deal with being quick to listen and slow to speak and it talks about anger. I'm just going to skip those verses. Not because they're not important. I'm skipping those verses because they are so important. We're coming back to them next week. Next week, we're going to spend our entire time talking about those three verses. So if you're angry about that, come back next week. I'll tell you how to deal with that. But for now, we're going to skip down to verse 22. Again, just kind of walking through some of these things this morning. James is going to tell us in verse 22, talking about a faith that works. The faith that works involves putting in the work. To have a faith that actually works, it's going to take some effort. You're going to have to do something. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Again, James tells us, don't deceive yourselves. Don't be deceived. Third time, by the way, already here in chapter 1, that he tells us not to be deceived, if you're keeping track. And this time he's talking about being deceived in the way that we respond to the word. That when I listen to the word, but don't do what the word says, I'm not really accepting the word, am I? A dad told his son, I don't want you to go swim in the canal today. The boy came home that evening carrying a wet bathing suit, and the dad asked his son, where were you? He said, I was swimming in the canal. He said, I thought I told you not to swim in the canal. He said, I know you did, but uh, I had my bathing suit with me, and I just couldn't avoid the temptation of going swimming in the canal. And the father said, well, why did you have your bathing suit with you? He said, just in case I was tempted to swim in the canal. (laughs) You know, we know what to do, right? But when we don't do what we know what to do, it doesn't count for much, does it? Verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Listen, don't ever confuse being informed with being transformed. They are not the same thing. It's a huge difference between being informed and being transformed. James says, what good does it do to listen and not to do? It's like someone who looks at their face in a mirror and they immediately forget what they look like. I was, <laughs> I was preparing for this lesson last week and um, I Googled, you've probably seen this on the internet, I Googled people of Walmart. Did you ever do that? It's a thing. It's a thing. I went to Google Images and put in people of Walmart. In 0.08 seconds, I had 234 million hits. I kid you not. 
234 million examples of people who did not look in the mirror or else looked in the mirror and immediately forgot what they saw, right? I think like half of them are from up here in Sefner. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I'm pretty sure I was probably in some of them. People that like, did you not look in a mirror today? Did you forget what you saw in that mirror today? That's what James is saying. James says, listening without doing. It's like looking in a mirror. You, you forget. If you listen without doing, you're, you're going to forget. It's not going to make any difference. Listening with doing, that's when you accept something. That's when you make it part of your life. And I want to be sure that you, you kind of understand what I'm trying to talk about here. We don't think ourselves into a new way of living. We live ourselves into a new way of thinking. And it's important that you sort of wrap your mind around that. We don't think ourselves into a new way of living. We live ourselves into a new way of thinking. Okay, what exactly do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is you don't truly believe something until you've proven it, until you've lived it. You won't be completely committed to something until, you, until you've lived it out. Um, I'll give you a couple examples. All through Scripture, we read about the power of prayer. We read about the promise of prayer. And someone tells you, I have studied prayer for the past 30 years. I have studied every passage in Scripture that deals with prayer. I can quote most passages of Scripture that deal with prayer. I've taught classes on prayer. I've written papers on prayer. Now, I don't pray, but I know all there is to know about prayer. And another person tells you, I'm brand new to this thing. But let me tell you what I found out. Prayer works. I've been praying like crazy. It's changed my life. I had no idea that there was this much power in prayer. Now, who's the expert on prayer? The one who learned it or the one who lives it? The one who lives it, right? Or someone says, hey, I know that the Bible said all this time about, you know, it's more blessed to give than receive. God loves a cheerful giver. We should be generous. But guess what? I actually tried that. It's true. God knows what he's talking about. I have found so much joy in generosity. Who understands the word better? The guy who knows it? The guy who lives it. It's the one who lives it, right? So there, there's a certain level of spiritual transformation that you will never reach until you start doing what you've learned. Until you start walking out some of these things that we know. You won't really change the way you think until you prove it to yourself with the way you live. That's why James tells us we can't just hear the word. We've got to do the word. But let's face it, if it was easy, everyone would do it, right? Doing it's hard. It's a lot easier just to know than to do. It's a lot easier to learn it than to live it, which is why it's so important to remember what James calls the word. Verse 25, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law, he's talking about the word, the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgiving what he has heard, but doing it, he'll be blessed in what he does. James says this word, this, this perfect law gives 
freedom. You might be reading from translation that says liberty. This law gives you freedom. No, most people outside of Christianity, when they talk about the word of God, just a bunch of rules. Just a bunch of can'ts, a bunch of don'ts. God is this cosmic killjoy that doesn't want us to have any fun. James says, no. This perfect word, it leads to freedom. It leads to liberty. God doesn't want to enslave you. God wants to set you free. And then he goes on to say, in fact, the person who, who understands this, he will be blessed in what he does. Notice what James doesn't say. James does not say he'll be blessed in what he knows. He'll be blessed in what he learns. What James says is, you're going to be blessed in what you do. That's why no amount of sermon notes is ever going to change your life. I know some of you take notes during class, during sermons, which I, I appreciate. But I'm going to tell you, if those notes just stay in a folder somewhere... Not going to change your life very much. The only way those notes will help is if you actually start applying them and living them out a little bit because we're blessed in what we do, not in what we know. Have you ever noticed that when you experience a life-changing event, you don't have to write that down? You don't have to take notes on that, do you? Hey, what was your wedding like? Yeah, let me check my notes on that. I'm going to get back to you. No, we remember our wedding day, right? We remember every detail about our weddings, right? Men, do this. Your wives are watching. Yes, absolutely. What a wonderful day. I remember it so well. I don't need notes for that. What was, the, what was your favorite vacation? I don't need to check my notes. I remember where I went. I remember who I was with. I remember why it was so exciting, why it was the greatest vacation ever. We don't have to write that stuff down. I'm going to tell you something this morning. This sermon, it is not going to be a life-changing experience for you. It just won't be. The only way that this is going to be a life-changing experience for you is if in the next couple of days or the next couple of weeks, you actually pay attention to what James said and start doing some of it. Start walking that life, living that life. You're blessed in what you do. James says, don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. You're going to be blessed in what you do. I recently read about kind of an argument on how it is, or I guess the argument on it being so hard to actually do what we know to do. In America, every year, got a lot of health people in here, over 600,000 Americans undergo heart bypass surgery every year. 600,000 people. And every single one of those patients has something in common. Their doctor all told them the same thing. This is a temporary fix. You need to change your diet. You need to lose weight. You need to stop smoking if you're smoking. You need to exercise more. You need to lower your stress level. Now, you would think that a near-death experience would motivate someone to change their lifestyle, right? You would think that you would be so compelled to make changes about something so important, but here's what research has shown, and there's been tons of research on this. The vast majority of people who have undergone heart bypass surgery don't make any significant lifestyle changes, at least not for long. One recent study said that over 90% of people 
didn't make changes that lasted more than two years. In other words, if they smoked before the surgery in two years, they were smoking again. They hadn't lost any weight. They hadn't changed their diet, their eating habits. They hadn't changed their exercise level. Their stress was exactly the same. In other words, they were on exactly the same path two years later that put them into heart problems to start with. And I say all that just to kind of underline how hard it is to change. You know, a doctor can make a temporary uh, fix to your heart, but lasting change, that's on us, right? That's on the patient. Uh, if real quality of life, that, that, that's up to us. James wants to know the same thing's true when it comes to spiritual transformation. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about what is God saying? We consume ourselves with that question. What is God saying? Every Sunday we get together and we talk about what is God saying? Every Bible class you sit in, every small group you attend, every time you hear a sermon, so much of it is talking about what is God saying? And we pick apart verses. In fact, we get down into the minutia of what does this Greek verb mean? Because we want to know what is God saying? And by the way, I'm a big fan of knowing, of knowing what God is saying. Yeah, I'm all for it. But not nearly as often do we ask that second question, what am I going to do about it? I want to know what God's saying. Okay. But what am I going to do about it? I like to learn about what God is saying. James is asking, but what are you going to do about it? Don't just listen to the word. Do it. They aren't really, aren't those the first two questions of transformation? What's God saying? What am I going to do about it? Isn't that sort of where it all starts? That's the growth process. That's the maturation process. You're going to see as we go through this series, we're going to keep coming back to several of these truths. Our need to be proactive, to do something. The need for obedience. To walk and live this out. Because we don't think ourselves into a new way of living. We live ourselves into a new way of thinking. So the question really sort of becomes, not is, am I in the Word, but is the Word in me? Not do I know the word, but am I living the word? Am I acting on what I know? I want to know what God's saying. God wants to know, what are you doing about it? That's on us. That's on me. Experience that transformation that God provides and God promises. We can't just learn it. we got to live it. That's James's thought for today. Come back next week. He's got a lot more to say. But for today, we're going to sing a song of encouragement. Uh, as a church family, if we can pray with you, if we can help you in any way, we're going to invite you to the front of the auditorium, and there'll be someone there to meet you. Let's go ahead and be standing uh, while we sing.